Dungeons and Dragons is a cultural phenomenon that until recently I knew next to nothing about, save what I had seen in Wet Hot American Summer. Then I watched the trailer for the upcoming film with Chris Pine, was talking to a friend of mine about it, and it turns out she's a dungeon master. Bailey Shelton is a graphic designer currently living in Scotland. She's in the middle of a campaign herself, and she recently was gracious and patient enough to sit down and explain the game to me. So whether you're a seasoned vet like her or you're new to it like myself, sit back, relax, and enjoy this, Buds, for you. You okay? Everything all right? Yeah. Passport stuff? She's leaving the country soon and has not updated the passport. She's known about the trip forever. But anyway, Dungeons and Dragons. How did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? Like, how did it enter your universe? Honestly, I didn't start playing Dungeons and Dragons until college. I'm going to be real with you. I, I started because a I was working at this on-campus job, actually an in-house marketing agency at Ball State, um, basically where I got my start doing what I do now. And weirdly enough, the office I was working in, one of my coworkers was like, hey, I'm starting up a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Do you want to join? And yeah, that's the rest is history. What did, what did you know? Well, what did you know about it uh, up to that point? Not nearly enough, uh, honestly. Um, I knew it was like a game that you did with your brain. Like I knew that it wasn't like a board game. Um, I knew that I had to like make up a character and then the rest of it was like the person running the game was like, and I'll help you through the rest. Uh, And then I got there and I was like, you could have you could have given me some sort of precursor before I jumped into this. Um, because I remember session zero was, <laughs> it was awkward and it was, um, messy and it was very math heavy. Like, um, like, like I very much remember being like feeling like a fish out of water for that entire like hour that I was there. And then afterwards I was walking back to my dorm and I was like, well, I just went through like the worst part of it. So I guess I'll see if I actually like it because like that was a really bad first impression. And luckily I did, but it also taught me that like from then on, when I introduce new players, I do like a completely different setup. So from what that guy did. So what's the precursor? What's the precursor that you wish you would have gotten before you got into the game? And then I want to ask you another question about the game itself, because it's called a follow-up in the biz. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard of a follow-up before, yes. So um <laughs> so Dungeons and Dragons. Um I I I think that I would have loved someone to send me a link and be like, listen to these guys playing it before you show up, right? Like just so that you get the general feel and vibe for it. Um I think hearing somebody else do it first is a lot easier to like get the gist of it. Um, and I actually think that that's a good tip when you're learning any game. Like if you think you want to buy a board game, look up a video of some people playing it on YouTube first, and you can see if it's like something that you're willing to learn the rules of, right? Like I've watched videos of people playing risk and I'm like, I have no interest in risk. Like (laughs) I know that about myself, but there are other games where like, I didn't know until I saw someone play the game ticket to ride that it's a very good board game for like me and my dad to play. So my, my, what is ticket to ride? Ticket to ride is a board game where you, um, 
you basically try and make railroads across America with little board pieces. It's like Monopoly, but with trains, right? That's fun. (laughs) No, it is. And it's really good for the holidays, okay? But like when someone explains it, you're like, okay, fuck that. I remember with my dad, we got him Ticket to Ride for Christmas one year and refused to play it with him for three years before we finally cracked that baby open. And now it's our go-to Christmas game. And every time he's like, aren't you glad you finally played Ticket to Ride with me? So that's how Dungeons and Dragons is. It's like, you should you should listen to somebody playing it first before you pull up a character sheet. If you were to do that, if you were to tune in and listen to somebody playing it, what would you hear? You said it earlier, you know, it gives you a good idea of what the quote unquote vibe is. What's that? Yeah. What's that vibe? Um, I think it's like the the stereotype of like a Dungeons and Dragons game is one that's like a little bit too hardcore nerd for the general public to really like and understand. Like you think of um, the kids and strangers things talking about like the dragons and the capes and the, like they're rolling for damage. And like all of those kids are very seriously in the thick of it when it comes to like high fantasy stuff. But if you listen to like a standard Dungeons and Dragons game, you'll hear that it's, you know, it's partially like high fantasy, like magic potions, enemies, dragons and stuff like that. But a lot of the time it's also like farcical nonsense. It's like people making fun of themselves while they do it. Right. Um, And then I think it also is like a certain amount of you, you listen to the gameplay elements, but you also know that it's like riffing with your friends for the most part riffing with your friends you almost make it sound like a bunch of stoners sitting in the basement just like creating tales and stories but in a competitive way yeah that's like that (laughs) you just summed up the best dungeons and dragons game there is like you know you know when people talk about like their dream blunt rotation like that's your dream dungeons and dragons party right there (laughs) your dream blunt rotation uh that's funny so back it up a little bit more though. Uh, okay. you, you make it sound, you said it's a game that you play with your brain and then yeah. you've referenced rolling. So what are the minimum requirements? Like, is there, is it spatial? Is it temporal? Uh, is it, is it equipment? Is it logistics? Like what do you, how does this game work? So there's, there's a bit of a debate within the nerd community on how much stuff you actually need. Um, but okay, so the the base level equipment necessary to play Dungeons and Dragons is a set of dice. Um, it's a, and then it's a bunch of different sided dice. So you need a D four, a D six, a D eight, a D twelve, and a D two D tens and a D twenty. So twenty sided, two ten sided dice so that you can roll like out of one hundred um, with that, or you can roll out of ten. Um, basically you roll the two dice and then one of them is the first digit and then the other is the second digit, right? So if you roll a 10 and a one, you got an 11 kind of deal. Um, yeah, math. And then, um, <laughs> does yeah, that make sense? I was going to say that's, I'm already, I, I'm, no, but I'm, but I'm, I'm trying to learn on the go. Okay. So, so basically like one of the 10 sided die is specifically for 
like the tens digit, and then the other one is for the the, the tens digit, digit placeholder. Yeah, right. So if yeah. if you roll a, if you roll a thirty, then your numbers in the thirties. No, I got I picked yeah. up on it. And by the way, if we slow down every time that Bud gets lost, then we're never <laughs> we're going to be here all day. All right. So that's what you mean by like. So, that's what you yeah. mean by the you have to like watch it happen. You have to – because otherwise yeah. this kind of explanation – and it's funny you should mention that. I actually did watch it a little bit. Barstool, mm-hmm. the guys over at Pardon My Take, I don't know what – I have no context for backstory other than uh, one of my good old camp friends works over there and he's on and he's on the show. And so I was like scrolling on his social media and, and I knew we were talking and I saw mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. I was like, it looks like they're playing D&D. Watched them for about all of 45 seconds, mostly just to kind of see what they were – and. It did look like they were, there was a lot of shtick, mm-hmm. almost self-deprecating shtick, mm-hmm. but the same way that these football players will get off the field now and put the gigantic oversized hat on as like yeah. player of the game because, cheese it's going to pay them $10,000. They're not above mm-hmm. the shtick that comes with it. But yeah. also, we're, we're, this whole thing got started because Dungeons & Dragons, the movie that's coming out, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big Chris Pine guy. Not going to lie. Yeah. Love him. Captain. He, he's my captain. He's my captain, Kirk. I'm a little, I, I grew up with Jean-Luc Picard, right? You know, Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart was my USS Enterprise captain. Right. We knew of the other Kirk, but the young Kirk is my Kirk. And so when I saw him in this commercial online, I was like, what in the heavenly? And that's what kind of brought us all full circle was it's in mm-hmm. the mainstream now. And it looks like all the the chatterbox online of the debates over well, we don't like how commercialized or how uh, almost not authentic this is going to feel because, and then other people going, yeah. no, no, no. It's great to see that this game 50 years later is going into another evolution and it's still mainstream. Yeah. Where, where, where are you on this whole movie itself? And can you, can you peel back that side of the D and D onion before where are people standing on this? Has there been movies before that I need to go watch? Is there a storyline I don't know about? I mean, honestly, I know that you have a, a young daughter and that you're you're going to enter into like the TV pantheon in a, in a bit. And first of all, I want everyone's children to grow up as nerds. I think that nerds are some of the best people in the world. So um, the movie Onward Fair. is a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Like full stop. It's a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like that's- we, uh, like, she, Coop loves it. Yeah, like the going on the quest. They use Dungeons and Dragons spells in that movie. Um, so, so like, there's a there's a kids version of Dungeons and Dragons called Kids on Bikes, where you you take your kid through a role playing game, and the rules are simplified so that they don't have to have the full like character sheet and backstory ready to go. They can just play with like a limited number of dice and and learn how to like use their imagination in a game setting. And it literally is like a kids on bike story, right? Like um, they are making characters and traveling around on bikes and all of the characters are kids. So um, I think that there's definitely a lot in the last decade or two that has kind of branched out Dungeons and Dragons as like an all ages, all creeds, all like walks of life format. And then it also branches out even further than that to say like role play games and like tabletop role play games are very good for like building up certain skills and conversations um, that other games don't necessarily have that element to. So um, I could definitely see like Dungeons and Dragons reaching the mainstream in a way that like Star Wars has, right? 
here's the question that actually two things I got, I want to, I want to dive right. down a rabbit hole that you, you, you tapped into about this game and the role that it plays pun intended in, uh, <laughs> in, in society and development and actually how something like this is it's needed in a way for a generation that grew up with star Wars being revitalized, Harry Potter, hunger games, um, you know, divergent series. So we've got this serial heroic, you know, imagination, exploration, but that was all created for us. Right. This is, uh, this is where I think the tip happens in a, in such a positive way that you have to, you, you have to tap into your own creativity. Right. Right. Like you have to, you have to decide what you're going to look like, what you're going to do. Do looks <laughs> even matter actually quick? Cause I have a I question mean, in the think, middle of that. Do looks even matter? Like, do you describe the way you looked? I, I like to have a character description, right? Like, um, for this past Christmas, I, I drew my players like characters as Christmas gifts. I was like, here, I've made some fan art for you. Um, I like to have character descriptions a lot of the time, especially in earlier campaigns, like people kind of make themselves in game because it's way easier to just like walk through a game as yourself when you're learning like the mechanics of it. Right. Um, So I think that like the description type stuff, like I I know people who go as far as to say like, okay, well I'm going to don the elf ears and dress like my character would dress so that I can get into the mode of it. Um, but I think at the very least, it's nice to just kind of have an idea of who you're pretending to be. Right. Yeah. The method acting. Um, so yeah, like one of my characters is wearing the like goth outfit that their character would wear. Right. Like. And you say goth, do you mean, do you mean like gothic period of history or do you mean like the modern stereotype of what a goth kid would dress like or something? Modern stereotype, just because um, the world that I am making is like a modern setting, right? Like a lot of people do like high fantasy. Is it like dystopian? It's not dystopian, actually. Well, well, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's like a thief city. So like everybody is a criminal. It's like Batman, basically. It's similar to Batman, but like a little less hating on Chicago-y. Hating on New York, you know? (laughs) It's funny. I, like I swear to God, no, I think Chicago is the, the Chicago is the modern. Yeah, well, it's like Gotham is just like a hate mail to the city living. Sometimes, right? Like you're like, oh, you just hate well, everybody. When you say, when you say a Chicago city of, area. yeah, sometimes you say though that uh, like a city of thieves. I think of the Wild West. I think of like Dodge, you know, Dodge City, you know, where yeah, and the only way to survive is to recognize that we're all here because of the same reasons or for the same activities, we all live by kind of a a generalized code that we understand. Um, It is unspoken. And when it needs to be spoken, that means something is wrong in the universe. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I'm wondering, and this is what's going to be curious to see how it happens is everything else before this had characters to latch onto. There's a story to kind of believe in. Is there any threat in like this movie watering it down too much? Or do you think, I think it's just much more of like you were pointing out an introduction on you can't get caught up with these characters is my point. I don't Mm -hmm. see how you can serialize a single storyline when the brand itself is bring your brain and create as you go. 
I think it's interesting to me that like the I mean it makes sense to me that so the people who made Dungeons and Dragons are it's a company called Wizards of the Coast and they sell their rule set their compendium their um modules of like their gaming modules so like they have certain like settings that are Wizard of the Coast settings. They have certain storylines that are their storylines. And so, like, this movie element is, like, very much one of their, like, lore backstories coming out onto the silver screen. Um, and so I think it's interesting that, like, this is, like, the quote-unquote Dungeons & Dragons movie when, like, if you're really going to be true to how Dungeons & Dragons is played, it's almost like you would be better off making, like, a high fantasy version of Trailer Park Boys, right? Like, we have an idea of where it's going, always sunny in Philadelphia style, but we're going to just let that roller coaster ride, right? So there is somebody who owns, I mean, and I, I got to, I, now I've now I really got to go down. I want to find some of these people. I want to <laughs> know about the people, though, who don't, who kind of own the idea. Because I can make an argument that the minute you have a website and it's this much like here, here are the kind of pre-approved you know, storylines that we want you to use. And I do understand the difference between we want you to versus, hey, if you're getting into the game or you want to know kind of how this works, here's mm-hmm. an example, you know, and I'm. You know, I'm trying to just kind of play both sides here. I'm learning as we go, but I didn't realize, yeah, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, like they're all owned by the same company. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like that's a ri- that's ki- a little there- bit of the discourse I was talking Ooh, to you about. Did I, did, I t- did I touch a nerve? You did. So like so basically a bit of what I was talking about earlier on it's kind of like how languages are, right? Like certain people are very strict about like how grammar is structured when you speak. And the same thing is true for like this role play game, this like Dungeons and Dragons and how Dungeons and Dragons is played. There are people who are like, oh, well, you have to have the playing mat for your like interactions with monsters. How else will I know where the monster is within the room? Um, and then the the counter argument to that looks like something like, well, I said it was 40 feet away. What more do you want from me? <laughs> like, um, so, so uh, yeah, like the same goes for like the overarching game, right? Like Wizards of the Coast is like, no, we own it. We made it. We wrote the player handbook like this is our game. And um, the counterpoint to that in large is, okay, well, you made a game that is primarily focused on us making shit up on our own. So in a way we own the game and you've just given us a way to do that. This is, this is so nuts. I didn't know that there was actually like a structured side to the Dungeons and Dragons universe. So you keep referencing yeah. these games, these campaigns, how long does one of these things, one of these things last? Is this like cricket? Are we here for months, years? No, I mean, sometimes, um, but probably not most of the time. What's like, the point of the game? We've talked, hold on real quick. Hold on. We've, we've talked about characters and creating storylines and everything, but what is the point of the game? Honestly, Sorry, I, I think the point toes, is to, be honest, no, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. Uh, honestly, I think the point of any Dungeons and Dragons campaign is just to tell a story and meet a natural end to that story. Right. Like, um, I, I like to make a big bad. And once that big bad is dead, we decide whether or not we want to go find another one. Right. Um, so I've had campaigns that are single setting, like, um, okay, we have four hours, let's tell a story together. Um, and then I've had like campaigns that last months and months and months, right? Like we're going to keep this ball rolling until it stops kind of deal. 
Um, I think the longest so I've ever been. Doing, if you're doing like a flat. Months. Six months. Were yeah, you there, once was a week for six meetings? months. Yeah. Like four, like many, I think it was like. like how many hours per meeting? Uh, a couple hours, at least three. Um, honestly, usually we take a break in the middle because I can't focus for that long. But I know of people who can do it for a lot longer. Some people meet once a month and they just sit there for 10 hours straight. Um, my brain would explode if I did that. Um, but there are also people like my my friend, one of my best friends, um, lives in Bloomington, Indiana, and has had the same Dungeons and Dragons group doing the same campaign since their freshman year of college. So it's been going on six years. So how I don't, I don't understand how you do. I mean, I guess I do. Then even if your big bad is. Uh, is found defeated to vanquished the the master the dungeon master whoever's running the game can just be like until i mean it's almost like there was an even you know, they can just bigger, drop something out bad. of there right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so it's almost like they it's almost like a dinner club at this point where they yeah. just are everybody's under this this uh, disagreement we're gonna get together okay what we were talking about earlier with this game and introducing it back into the mainstream culture and why i think it there was some a point I was going to make, which is I think this is going to play. It can play an integral part in reclaiming the youth, and I, I mean that in a sense of we have a generation and a half almost that were raised with screens, mm-hmm. and there's been good and bad. It's this, it's this, this thing I go down about the internet and access to information, and how on the arc of human history we are still so early on. In mm-hmm. this whole snap my fingers, give me answers. You know, the, the brain still, it takes time to process, you know. Uh, even even the most refined of adults can't handle <laughs> the internet responsibly sometimes. So, you know, having that kind of instant, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to create it. I used to teach the yearling to middle schoolers and they bitched and moaned about how boring the first couple chapters was uh, or were. And, uh, and I used to have to talk to them about like, this was 18 something. Like they didn't, right. they couldn't just go. He was outside of Paris, standing in front of the Moulin Rouge. Oh, I wonder what that looks like. Oh, a little windmill. Okay, good. Go on with the story. Mm-hmm. It's like they 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 would have to say they were here, they were there. Try to find the most universal ways of conveying imagery, and so losing that, you know, almost cheat coding that part of the brain in the developmental years mm-hmm. can have long. I'm not a scientist, but logically speaking, like if you deprive the development of that skill then where does creativity, ingenuity, uh, you know, complex thinking get born in? And this sounds like, well, to me, it sounds like a bunch of people who are bored and like killing time and just like yeah. trying to exercise their brain. And they were like, this is fun. Does anybody else want to do it? But wow, I think it's important for kids to bring that back because they do. They spend a lot of time, even in educational settings, instant access to information, instant this, because we have such a fast, fast world that mm-hmm. they don't know how to play. They don't know how to imagine. And yeah. this is the art of play and imagination at kind of a refined level. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that because I feel like... Not even kind of. It's very refined. I, I love the idea of living in the early 1800s and just having so much time to focus on like my knitting. Like, like that sounds almost relaxing sometimes. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do nearly as much in a day in order to like reach the bare minimum of survival it feels like so i can just sit there and say all right i'm gonna finish this needle point 
um like uh so i live in scotland right now and there's Holyrood house which is in edinburgh and they have on display like this is the needlepoint that mary queen of scots made in year 1565 or something and that's probably inaccurate i'm sorry historians um but it's funny to me that like she was literally the ruler that she was the sovereign of scotland and she had time to sit down and like do a little needlepoint of her cat and i'm like that sounds nice right and so i think that dungeons and dragons is like i'm going to a time where i had more time right i gotta i gotta admit you know young kid and even though this you know doing stuff like this and you know budgeting out your time the mm-hmm. thought of doing that kind of experience for four hours does out, does sound like I would have to you would have to build that into your life as opposed to make it kind of routine. Yeah. Uh, but the even back not even not even the eighteen hundreds. I'm laughing at some of the stuff I'm seeing on social media about people circling back to the eighties and nineties because us mm-hmm. Gen Xers and millennials are coming of age, and it is funny like going to see a friend go, going over to play at a friend's house and there's just a short video. Somebody gets on their bike down the street, crossing mm-hmm. traffic dumping the bike in the driveway, running into an unlocked door, you know, waving to Mrs. Johnson who had a, a butt hanging out of her mouth, you know, while she's in, it was just this kind of like, Oh my God. So where, where are your parents? Why are you smoking inside? What do you mean? It's like, Hey, you want to hang out? Yeah. What do you mean to do? I don't know. All right, cool. Sound. Let's go. I was like, ah, yeah, I miss that it sounds because we've got nice. a kid and it is overstructured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned this because literally just the other day I was watching, um, there's this show on Apple TV called Blackbird where it's it's telling the story of um, this murderer, Larry Hall, um, who just so happened to do most of his murders in the early 90s in Indiana. And I... I was texting my dad about it because I'm from Indiana around the time where Larry Hall was doing these murders and getting like put on trial for it. Uh, My dad was graduating college, moving to Tennessee and then deciding to move back with my mom to raise two kids in this state. Um, And so a lot of the show is like, Oh, this little girl was riding her bike home through a a field of corn and soybeans, and then a man snatched her. And I was like, that literally is how I looked when I was growing up. Like, like I was the girl on the bike in the field of soy. Like, like. And so I was talking to him about it. I was like, Have you ever heard of this? And he goes, No. Why would I have heard of that? I was like, Because he killed. He was a serial killer, and he killed little girls. And you had a little girl in the same state. Like, and he goes, well, back then we didn't really like hear the news that much. <laughs> it's like, that's such a weird so that, thing this to is, hear. You, you want to hear a creepy parallel? My mom went to Eastern Michigan University, which is in Ypsilanti, which, which is basically a border town of mm-hmm. Ann Arbor, uh, Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor, University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan, kind of that same little area. Right. And, uh, at the time, back in the 60s, there was a serial killer going around. I think it was John Collins was mm-hmm. his name, either John or Michael Collins. I can't remember which one. And uh, I think it was John Collins. And you can look it up. But anyways, there's a book that came out later called The Michigan Murders. And it turns right. out this this guy and his whole M- MO was to target uh, a specific blonde, you know, looking student. 
and was killing people from the apartment complex where my mom lived. And so one night it was great. My dad's one of my dad's best friends gave my mom a ride home on his motorcycle one night from a party. And she was like, do you, you know, I think his name was Mike, Mike Gerard, Mike, do you want to mm-hmm. come up and, you know, cup of coffee, blah, blah, blah. Have a, you know, and he was like, are you freaking kidding me? And he looked around and apparently he could spot like all these, uh, like cars, cop cars and stuff just planted throughout. He's like, they're just staked out because that was the whole MO, like blonde right. co-ed. He's like, if I go in, I'm no. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow morning. So yeah. that's freaking crazy though. Cause if you look up, if you look up this book, there's a scene that's depicted in it. My mom was like, that was me. That was on the, I'm like, eh, fact check on it. But a lot of people have confirmed it. People say, people say, yeah. people say, well, and so like that, it, yeah, that <laughs> um, sort of thing to me is like insane to even think about because I'm like, um, you know, now um, a girl goes mi- missing in Delphi and I hear about it like immediately my friends obsess over it for you know four or five years and then it turns out it's the guy at CVS yeah that's freaking gross what is L- is it L-I-C-H is it leech lick lich uh is it's it a, pronounced lich it's it's pronounced lich it's a it's a God, what a honestly, what a segue! Because a lich is like it's like a skeleton monster. Um, it's basically like, yeah. uh, yeah, it's like a person's uh rotted soul that wants to be alive so darn bad that it has become like a skeleton monster. How do you conquer these things? Uh, usually by being a big beefy boy and rolling high on your damage. Um, so basically it's like you have in Dungeons and Dragons, a certain stat block, right? So, you know, that certain weapons can do a certain amount of damage. Um, like in a real life example, you know, your fist is going to do less damage than a sword. You know, a sword's going to do less damage than a gun, right? So in Dungeons and, does and Dragons, the, does the dungeon master have the, does the DM have the kind of leeway to look at you though and just stop you from loading up on nothing but high damaged weapons and be like nah i don't think so junior you got to pick one or the other you can't possibly carry both of those in this setting like that kind of thing yeah so like i like to do the well you can do that but like um so for example in this new i i in my campaign that's like set in a modern setting um my characters are all like oh do guns exist in this world i'm like they do, but uh, there you have to have 250 gold to even buy one, and then it only does 1d10 of damage, and you have to roll a certain level to, like, hit them a certain way. Like, so basically, they exist, but, like, is it worth it? <laughs> Why not just say no? For because- fun. Because to I'm see if you can push these people to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically it's teaching them to make a decision. <laughs> like, um, it's it's them gauging how bad they want something. Um, and usually, if someone wants something badly enough, I'm like, okay, well, I'll give the dog a bone. You've made 250 gold. I'm going to make sure that like this gun is actually fun for you, like, and not just oh, you beat my little <laughs> trap, like you know. So, 
Um, yeah. So basically, so there are have, like so each when you're building your character and you're grabbing for stuff, there's there are some weapons that are standardized and they're damaged, yeah. and then there's others that like if I say I'm going to pull out this broken beer bottle, and you're like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. That would actually cause blah blah blah. Like yeah. yeah. Okay. So so um, it's funny that you say that. So there's in Dungeons and Dragons, there's certain like default character settings that you can build out. So you usually pick like what kind of creature you are and then what your general job is. So um, it's called in-game your race and your class. Um, So for example, there's one class uh, (laughs) barbarian um, that gets a, gets a kind of like a modded, like they get advantage when they're using an improvised weapon, like a broken beer bottle or a table or another player. Like, like if you're creative by like, like, Oh, I we're walking by a cafe. I grab one of the parasols and use it as a spear. Like you get advantage on that hit because it's an improvised weapon. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So okay. like everything that's has built into that character. So when you say I'm going to be this kind of person, you might be doing that on purpose to know that you got to go Jason Bourne at any minute. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, as a DM, my prep before the game even starts is like, okay, I know this guy's a barbarian. So I'm going to just have some default, like stabby items on hand that I can use to say, okay, well, I'm going to just use this stat block. So for the, oh, I'm using a parasol to stab him. I'd probably just like say it's the same damage as a javelin because the javelin is already in there so i'm going to just say it's the same damage because it's basically the same thing just with a different flavor right so sorry now i'm like now i'm thinking to myself like when you like (laughs) as a dungeon master as a dm uh like so when you walk into rooms do you ever do you, i mean do you ever describe the room with plants like that on purpose like you're like or it's yeah. like all right we need to wrap this up it's 8 30 i got to get home so we entered the bar blah 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 and what do you know there happens to be a pool cue sitting on there broken in half from a previous fight earlier that mm-hmm. night like you know like kind of yeah. wink wink nod nod somebody yeah. can pick this up and stab this guy so we get out of here like is does it get to that point what I love is that there's it. It really doesn't no matter how many broken pool cues I put in front of somebody, they're gonna use the jukebox <laughs> instead. Like, like so. Sometimes I do specifically put an item in a room, but it never works out. I I feel like I've told you this story before, but one time I built like a Scooby Doo monster mansion, and I literally one of the rooms was I don't know if you've seen the live action Scooby Doo ever. Have you the Ugh. like Scooby-Doo? Okay. So in Scooby-Doo Monster Island, there is a scene where they are in a haunted house and the haunted, like the mechanical haunted house has this dining table with a bunch of fake food on it that Scooby and Shaggy run in. They start eating the plastic food and then the mechanical things go, and now for dinner, you, and they like grab on to Shaggy and Scooby who have to like fight their way out. Right. So I was like, okay. It's a monster mansion. I want to make the Scooby-Doo reference. I'm putting in this little trap that is basically that scene from the live action Scooby-Doo. And I describe that room. I'm like, there's a table with a buffet full of food, empty chairs beckoning you there. There's a chandelier hanging over the table and like, you know, long decadent curtains around the room. And what they heard was there's a chandelier I can drop on the ghost. 
So their entire mission throughout the rest of this haunted house was to lure the ghost to go above the dining room table because they didn't know it was like a Scooby-Doo reference. So when they finally got there and they did what they wanted to do, it triggered the (coughs) trap anyway because I had already built it to do so. And so it was like this trap was going off in the middle of their plan and it kind of just worked perfectly with how they rolled that the like dinner table grabbed onto the ghost instead and held them there while they dropped the chandelier. And at the end of it, they were like, oh, so you, you, you d- must have wanted us to drop the chandelier. And I was like, no, why on earth would I plant a chandelier and be like, oh, you're going to grab that, aren't you? So if not the chandelier, how were they supposed to get rid of this ghost? Any way they wanted to. I don't care. Oh, I mean, so oh, literally they, because my first thing is like, is aren't ghosts translucent? Wouldn't it just fall right through? And it's like, okay, next. Well, the thing with Scooby-Doo do monsters oh, is so that they're all just a, guys a, in costumes, right? So like. That's fair. Okay. Well, because I was about to say, as, as a DM, you you have that flexibility if the creativity is not there, if whatever you can, like, as you pointed out, you can either say, sure, that's possible, but the ROI is not there. So it's obviously not, mm-hmm. you're not going to do it. Or you just flat out say like, man, that's, that's not the universe we're living in. Yeah. So like there are certain things like um, certain monsters are immune to fire damage or piercing damage or whatever, but usually how the players figure that out is they try something and it doesn't work. So for example, like if something's a zombie, it's not going to be like you can't kill it with necrotic something. Like you can't use a death spell on a zombie because it's already dead. Right. You have to shoot a zombie in the head. Yes, exactly. So everybody knows. Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. Headshot. Yeah. Rule number one, Jack. The no, no, rule number three: double the, tap. The, Jesus, that's scary. The the mechanics of this game because you keep talking about rolling, you keep talking about like okay, we've got you know you, you got what is pro, you're talking about probabilities, likelihoods, math. Mm-hmm. Real quick, give me a, a good hypothetical like we were talking about here, where you know there's a room, there's bar stuff going on, and there's you know yada yada yada. Is it as simple mm-hmm. as like when it's my turn, I say all right, I want to do this, then mm-hmm. you give me the like okay, the likelihood is this, and the mm-hmm. damage would be this, and blah 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 roll is so can i change my mind like at what point can i can i alter what's about to happen is it up until i'm about to shoot those die so most of the time i like making people roll for it unless they ask like uh, like there's this thing where you have to ask whether or not something seems possible to know the odds right like it's a very don't tell me the odds kind of thing um never tell me the odds and so Honestly, I just say if if someone wants to do something insane, like, oh, I want to jump between these buildings like Spider-Man, right? And they don't ask me how far apart the buildings are or like how high off the ground the buildings are or, oh, is this person close enough to grab me as I'm trying to jump between these buildings? Um, Then I get to decide in my head out of 20 how difficult that thing is. And then I say, okay, go ahead and roll acrobatics, and it's a d20. 
And if they roll high enough, then it really doesn't matter what that number is because they're going to make it. But if they don't roll high, it's good to have that number in mind. So the 20-sided die is how likely something is to happen out of 0 to 20? Yeah. So the 20-sided die is just your standard. 1 to 20, I guess it would be? Yeah. It's like, but it's going to be somewhere between 1 and 20 is how well you did the thing. Like, that's the role. Um, People are naturally better at things than others. So, like, you can work on certain skills to get, like, bonuses to that role. So you can add, like plus six or plus two to that role. There are some people who like do this thing called min maxing where it's like, I'm really fucking good at a few skills and really fucking bad at a few skills. So if you ask me to persuade somebody, I get like plus 15 to it and pretty much persuade them every single time. Um, However, what do you mean? Plus plus What do you mean? Plus 15 to it? What are you talking about? So like, you know what your ability is, right? Like you're, you're able, you have this certain amount of skill in persuasion. So I know I'm good at persuasion. Is that one to 20 This as well? is how it's modified. It's usually one to 20, but because of how the player's statistic is calculated and over time you can build up certain statistics, you can kind of shift the weights a little bit, if that makes sense. So, um, Generally speaking, you start off when you make a player at like plus one, (laughs) like you get to add one every time you check strength. Um, But if you play with that character for a really long time, then eventually that can be like plus four where you can get a magic item. And then it's like plus four plus an extra modifier or whatever the fuck. Um, And eventually every time you check strength, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter if I roll a five because that's still a 20 with all of my modifications. Okay. Is that almost like you're saving up, you know, in video games, people like bag their little bonus tokens, then cash them all in at one time to, to do something. Is that kind of an equivalent where you're like, I could be in an unlikely situation, but I know I can calculate it with a bonus this or a plus that. So, so certain people, do it that way and then other people do it kind of like building up level after level right like if you're playing a character over time you're leveling up and so it's like everybody levels up over time and certain people use those level ups in a very specific way to make their character like very specifically stronger in a certain like setting how do you keep track of the game um, I keep a little, I think I can show you. Yeah, I have it right here. Uh, I keep this silly little journal, which actually one of my players gave me. It's like the leather bound book. Um, and oh, it looks sexy. Yeah, it looks, it looks very fancy. Um, but basically I have like notes from different sessions and then I have all these little tables, which are encounters. So like. If they're just walking on the street, I can make them roll a D10. And then this chart tells me like, oh, they, uh, a rival gang tries to jump you, like stuff like that. <laughs> like, like that Almost way like I don't predetermined. have to. Okay. Like, all right. Yeah. That way I don't have to like riff off That's... of nothing. Do you, do you like start at all? Does every session start with like a recap of where we left off or is it just yes. kind of like, yeah. all right, I Terry, did. your turn. And 
Okay. I, I, I make people do the recap because I forget where we left off a lot of the time. Like. That's fair. I'm, I mean, it's hard. It's hard work being a master. I'm only human. I am made of bones and flesh. And sometimes the bones and flesh do not retain information from week to week. So, yeah, I make them do a recap. Will, will you be seeing this Dungeons and Dragons movie? I think I will, but it'll probably be once it hits like a streaming service. Um, the release dates are kind of weird from country to country. So um, a lot of the stuff yeah. I see here is usually on a streaming service first. But I think that Onward is one of, of my favorite movies ever. So I feel like. I, I love that you pointed that out. I'm going to have to rewatch it with Coop probably in one night this week and, and yeah. pay attention to that now because now I don't know if I'll ever actually, I would love to maybe go sit in on a campaign and observe, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I've got the mental bandwidth to, to uh, this is the most fascinating kind of subculture that has risen back through the years. And like you said, nerds are great people. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. one myself. Uh, you have to find it, find, find your nerd streak and embrace it wherever it flourishes. Mm-hmm. But this movie, have, do you have any kind of pre-existing feelings? Are you looking forward to it? Are you kind of like, uh, is there any stories or are there anything that you're going to be on the, the, the hunt for when you watch it? I mean, so I, I'm, I'm kind of a mixed emotion about it. Like, I think that I'm, I'm looking forward to certain elements of it. Like I love Hugh Grant. I think Hugh Grant is amazing. I would watch Hugh Grant for hours and hours. Didn't even um, know he's in it. I love Hugh Grant. Love yeah, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Hugh Grant's in it. And um, I know it's not like, Four weddings and a funeral, Hugh Grant, but like it's still Hugh Grant. Um, and then uh, I am a little skeptical just because it feels a little Marvel-y. And I'm not much of a fan of the like current Marvel movies. So like there's a certain amount of like I don't want it to be like superhero-y, but if it is like that, I think I need it. Like I need to like give it a little leeway to be a little like Marvel esque. So, yeah, that's my that's my worry, and I guess my preconceived notion about it is that I think it's going to be kind of like a Marvel movie. I think it's almost like a it's almost like a Sophie's Choice here because it's either going to be Marvel movie and huge, or it's or like what I'm thinking is. Because there is no there is no pre-existing character storyline specificity for the general public to kind of go, oh, they're making the Spider-Man movie or they're making the Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons is a game and, a, and almost a culture. It's, mm-hmm. it's less so than a, a unit, a specific thing. That's that's why this is this conversation is as disjointed as it is because it's like where do you mm-hmm. start there is no start there is no end it mm-hmm. is just a thing that exists but like what i think what i think i'm walking away from this mostly is it's a mental exercise it's, mm-hmm. it's a storytelling game they've been doing this shit for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years this is actually by the way how most of our history was was passed down and bastardized was people yeah. sitting around telling stories and then all of a sudden going hypothetically what if well what if this happened what if that happened but I think it's going to have, I hope it has a positive impact. Again, like I said, on a younger generation who maybe go, what's this all about? Because Mm -hmm. it's going to unlock, even if it does get a little MCU-ish and you're like, all right, they have, because of this movie, they have now created these characters that are almost going to over time, maybe overshadow the whole purpose of the game. 
but is that we're sacrificing to get this whole new wave of people into the game? Not that yeah. you're the standard bearer for all things D and D. You're just my resident dungeon master. Yeah, I mean, like, and I, I think that the general face of Dungeons and Dragons is changing, changing anyway. Like, I, I, I was mentioning onward because I remember I was in the car with my nieces a few months ago, and I was hearing them like doing their like kids, um, like pretend game in the back of the car on the way to the restaurant that we were going to for dinner and they were using dungeons and dragons spells and i was like how do they how do they know that like like how do they know like oh you know I what cast it is light like what is it you know what i think the aha moment just happened for me it is it is going to be people my age who've played this game but haven't played it in forever who all of a sudden have kids and are going to tap into like wait a minute and this is because quite frankly you tell a child now hey let's sit down in a room and talk for three hours they're gonna be like is this a zoom call i mean are we Mm -hmm. on facetime because you mean just to each other but this is going to be that doorway into that world it's going to give a younger generation something to latch on to to then go play this game because the minute they latch onto it, they'll understand, oh, we we can either chase these heroes that we've come to love or mm-hmm. we've just been entered into a universe where we go, oh, that's fun. Now, over here, what we're going to look at, it's, so I think it's yeah. going to be a fun thing to watch. Uh, I know I know you'll be interested. I'll be interested. And if anybody wants to follow your trials and tribulations over there in Scotland, where do they find you on that uh, on the sub stacks? So I have a Substack. It's called Gone Missing. You can find me at baileyshelton.substack.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. I am a pretty frequent poster there. Uh, my username is at teeny porcini, uh, which is a type of mushroom. Um, totally unrelated, but I just really like porcini mushrooms. So, um, And then my twitter handle is at bailey a shelton i like how you're not shaking your head at me and my porcini mushrooms you're like god now it reminded me that my grandfather my grandfather we had a before i was born my family had a dog a miniature schnauzer named teeny but it was not named for the mushroom it was short for martini uh because (laughs) that was the kind of house we lived in (laughs) No, thank you so much for doing this. I would love to, I'd love to root circle back after the movie's been out for a while. Maybe we'll chat this summer and catch up on it. Little post-game conference. I'll find out how the, how the campaign has gone. How is the campaign still alive right now? Yes. Yeah. So they're currently, I'm like basically building out little arcs per character. So they're in their first little arc, but uh, yeah, it's chugging along. I, I feel like I'm just building railroad tracks in front of them as they go on, but it's, it's working out pretty well. All right. Well, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate it. And if you've ever tuned into this before, which about a dozen of you have, uh, I'm going to make Bailey answer nine questions because I'm a huge James Lipton nut. And any, anytime somebody comes on the first time they come on, I want to go through this with them because I think it's a fun, and I've actually had more than one person go, you know what? Never been asked those questions before. I'm like, they're the most simple shit in the world, but James Lipton, I drop one because I'm a golf guy. Make it nine. Quick emergency nine. Also, everybody's mm-hmm. favorite curse word either is either fuck or some sort of variation of a female anatomy. Uh, so instead, we're going to rip through the nine that are left standing. And mm-hmm. from there, I will let you go back to mastering the ways of your thieve city. Okay. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite word? You just said that thing about cuss words, and so now I want it to be a cuss word. But, um, I mean, we just said it, I guess. Uh, 
porcini. I think it's a fun name. I think it's fun mushroom. It's actually on a banner on my wall right now. It says porcini. What is your least favorite word? Mm. Um, dumb. What is you? Sorry. What is you? What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, creatively, I feel like other people talking about the thing they're making. Um, spiritually, not much. And then the third one was emotionally, and it was an or, but you can answer all three. Um, I think that the the phrase. Can I ask you a question? Always turn and turns me into an emotional wreck. I'm like, what is it? Like, almost immediately. What turns you off? Um, creatively, uh, people saying things like, "Oh, that kind of sounds dumb," um, which is why it's my least favorite word. Um, spiritually, I think that like people closing the door to their culture is really kind of a turn off. Like I'll listen to people talk about their religion all day, every day. But the second someone's like, Oh, well you wouldn't understand it's between me and God. I'm a little bit like upset with that idea. Um, and then emotionally, uh, like accusatory phrases, like you don't like what you've done to me is kind of like hard to deal with. What sound or noise do you love? Um, like a really, oh, you know what? Lately, I've loved the sound of the Bluetooth speaker in my house turning on. Like that little, <laughs> like when it connects. That's very satisfying. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, um, like something metal hitting something else metal like a car wreck sound <laughs> what prof- you just what heard profession it. It, it, other it, it, than your own <laughs> would you like to attempt I, I did i absolutely heard it so what profession other than your own would you like to attempt oh i would love to do um like like some form of like script writing um, it's something I've never tried before, but I would love to be like a, like a TV script writer. What profession would you not like to do? Um, shoveling shit. <laughs> that's going to be the, that's going to be the, 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 the tagline for this episode. I don't want to <laughs> shovel shit. I mean, a couple weeks ago, it was the world needs ditch diggers. All right. Last but certainly not least, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> Bailey Shelton, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate it. Whether it's this, that, or the other, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.